0: Welcome, one and all, to the A to the K Wrestling Show. We are honored to be joined this week by three-time WCW champion, WWE Hall of Famer, and founder of DDP Yoga, the one and only Diamond Dallas Page. Thank you again so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be here today.
1: Uh, my pleasure,
0: guys. It's my pleasure. I was just
1: actually talking about it. Uh, what part of the UK you guys in? Um, Near Liverpool. Yeah, just outside of Liverpool. Where? Liverpool, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually got up there last time I was there. I was doing a, a Comic-Con up there, and that was the last time I did a, a road trip. We flew into uh, Heathrow, and then we drove. We did some sightseeing on our way to Glasgow, and then we did like six or seven uh, DDP yoga workshops on the way back through, and then we ended up in Brighton and uh, and enjoyed a couple days down there, too. So, uh now uh, my girl I'm with now she she's a world traveler and uh, she uh, literally was one of those ultra marathoners where you run a hundred miles wow. you know or <laughs> she, she she actually put a backpack on one one race and ran 170 miles in six and a half days with a backpack on her back and you know sleeping in the canyons as she was running through all that she's seen all over the world but she's never been. To the uk so i said well, we're gonna do a tour there you know in 2022 at some point just waiting for all this shit to oh, course, and yeah, yeah. Oh, really? i don't know if it's going to be 2022 or you know 2029 I don't know. But eventually, <laughs> yeah. i'm coming back to the uk because i love it there i love the you know the old school stuff and the people in general i just love it we every one of our workshops had over 100 people in the when you got 100 people Doing DDPY, it's a lot of fun. Oh,
2: yeah. yeah. I think, um, especially for the UK, it must be, um, like, it's it's sort of so rare for them to be able to get um, a lot of the stars we see, um, on, on obviously, over in the US. So
1: um, the, the response must be fantastic, to be fair. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, the biggest turnout we've ever had was the last one that we did. We did it um, where AEW, uh, one of the their pay-per-views i can't remember which one it was but we did 192 people who paid wow. to work out yeah it was only 69.99 plus i got a picture with me too so yeah. it was really cheap when you think about it oh, it's like a three three hours show it's inspiration meets perspiration you know and i want people to be really you know help them reboot their brain it's kind of like what my uh my, my book Positively Unstoppable. You know, it's all about helping people reboot their brain. And uh, probably right now more than anything, people need, need that shit, you know. So um, let's so start, yeah, baby. Yeah, what I'm do you guys book, want to talk
2: about? Well um obviously I know obviously you do a lot of podcasts so you probably get a lot of the same questions. So we'll try and not um, try and not bore you too much with it. But um what I was hoping we could start with is um just Sort of your early career, really, and um, and how you got into the the side of wrestling. Because, as I understand it, you started out as a, as a sort of a, a manager uh, and commentator um, for the likes of Kate well, Hennig actually, and Scott Hall.
1: I actually literally started uh, as a as a wrestler oh, at right. twenty three. I had three matches. I sucked. I actually still have the card. Let me uh, let me just obviously if I find this, but I saw it the other day, and I think I. Favored it on my deal, but this is a someone sent this to me um, that they 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 had it. You know, certain people when they have wrestling memorabilia, they keep it. Mm. And this person had. the pictures are there? I'm just going to check favorites and see if it's in there. Um, I hate how uh, um, it, they keep changing anything on your Apple phone everything keeps changing you know as soon as you think you got it oh I understand this all now and then you download the new version all of a sudden it's completely different again so um I'll, I'll keep looking for it while you guys are talking but uh, uh, I actually had three matches back uh, when I was 23 and then I hurt my knee in the third in the third match and um I saw just take some time down and then I got the opportunity to run a a a little rock and roll bar. And, um, and, uh, I had so much fun. I was in the bar business since I was 17. So now I'm 23 and I get to run my own, you know, rock, little rock and roll joint and the booze, the broads and the party, (laughs) my freaking whole dream of wrestling, (laughs) you know, went out to the boondocks and, uh, then wrestling, that was in nineteen seventy nine, and then wrestling blew up huge, right. you know, in the eighties. And uh, I was so pissed because I knew I would have been in the middle of all of that, you know, with Roddy and Hulk and you know Orndorff and mm-hmm. you know. I just knew I would have been in the 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 mix, the top mix. I doubt it because I was a young twenty three. Uh, I, I was like a late bloomer on a lot of things so but I still would have been in the mix of all that 80s stuff so I stopped watching it I was so pissed and then later I saw Jesse Ventura with the boa and the crazy glass and a do-rag and a leather jacket and that's someone that pulled me in and the first match was a cat who had a, sh- a bag over his shoulder and a Fu, Fu Man Chew. it was Jake Snake Robertson. That son bitch was so mesmerizing. And I watched his work in the ring, his promos. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? (laughs) And Jake pulled me back in. He sucked me back in. And then I just started watching all the time. And then I had a big club in Fort Myers, Florida. Six years later, and Jake came in. And we became drinking buddies. And uh, this is, he told all the boys that, you know, hey, you're in Miami and then you wrestle on, Tampa, that's 300 miles. In the middle is yeah. Fort Myers, so he told people stop by there. And here's my boy, the million dollar <laughs> man, doing upside down the killer shooter from, with me. I, as you can see, I've got crazy pictures all over the wall behind me. But it's this room's about probably about maybe about not maybe a thousand square feet. Maybe I'm probably not, but about 900. It's like it's like the war room, and it's pictures everywhere. So I took. The pictures that I tell the most stories about, and just put them all right here in front yeah. of me. <laughs> so I can, and then I go to the iPad when I'm looking for something else. But I, you know, I, it, it put me back in the mindset of like, no, and I'm too old to be a wrestler, but maybe I could be a manager. Right. And literally, I put together three guys. I called one Big Bad John, another Rock Hard Rick, and Ted E. Bear. He was a midget. And I had him. <laughs> Uh, walk out with the Diamond Dolls and I put these videos together and sent them to the AWA and they were like, they called me in two weeks and they said, you know, they were losing a lot of their talent back then in um, 88 <clears throat> to Vince, you know, because Vince was taking all the top talent oh, yeah. and um, they hadn't taken Mr. Henning, uh, Mr. Kurt Henning yet, but, uh, or, or Michaels, as a matter of fact, Shawn Michaels uh, and Genetti." They were still in the AWA when I got there, but uh, I sent them a tape uh, and they liked it. They called me back and they said, we want to bring you and your boys in for a tryout. But we've got one question, you know, everybody likes your shtick, but no one's ever heard of you. Where are you guys working at? And I was like, well, um, uh, the truth is uh, Rob, uh, none of those guys can wrestle. And he was like, like, what? (laughs) <laughs> Why would you send the tape? I said, well, you know, it's like a secret society. You can't it's, it's there actually is guidelines today for guys who are trying to get in. Like you want to try to get to the WCW Performance Center, you could go to uh Cody Rhodes' Nightmare Factory, you know, and do the 3 month thing that he does there and if you got talent, you'll be seen by the guy, you know, Cody and QT. I mean, there's there's ways you can actually figure it out. But back then, it was like a secret society. <laughs> you know, back then it was still K Fabe and, you know, and people spoke in Carney language. Mm-hmm. Like instead of Diamond Cutter, it would have been Diazimon Kiazunner You know, they could speak, guys could speak. I got in the tail end of that where I could understand it and I could. I could speak it way easier than I could Spanish or Italian, <laughs> but uh, um, it was a really interesting time. So I really got in at the tail end of the old school regime. So that's why a lot of my work, everything was old school and new school kind of thing. Not, not today. Today is a whole different level. I mean, Stuff dude, yeah. I'd still get over like a motherfucker today, but <laughs> but uh, it's the, the the work in the ring that they're doing today. Like Eddie Guerrero was that guy. You know, Eddie can do anything. Like Darby Allen, he, he does stuff like at a different level and I'm not saying that he's better than Eddie by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying that some of the things that he does, like how is he, you know, how is he not, how is he still doing it, you know, yeah. uh, it, consistently? And when he's not doing that, he's doing some crazy skateboard shit. Like Darby's a really good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons he can is because he does my program mm-hmm. and he's straight edge. Yeah. You know, he don't drink, he don't do pills, he don't do shit. Um, and he's a great, great kid. Um, but, yeah, as I say, it's, it's a different level of abuse. He's, guys have put themselves through that's why i'm so thankful that a lot of them do the program you know i just yeah. got a text from alistair black you know yeah. who freaking does it all the time you know and uh i work with him and and um um tomaso champa who's another great human being and a f- amazing wrestler and p- promo artist but the, the guy you know back to the story he said uh why would you send a tape? I said, Well, it's like a secret society. He, I said those guys could you know, be getting trained while I wrestle. And it was like, Yeah, don't call us, we'll call you. That you
0: wanted to make the transition back into the ring. And, you know, we'll talk about your character when we, you know, talk about your documentary Relentless. But you know, You're- again unsatisfied with with the limited booking you had at the time and 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 so on and so forth you'd go down to the power plant and pretty much train every day um but then at the end of 92 you get injured and you um, we're, we're released at that point but um yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, so obviously i was
1: ta- i was tag team with kevin nash at the time and mm. you know some of the easiest things you can get like you know injured now, i don't use the word hurt because you know pretty much guys are hurt all the time yeah but injured where you blow out a rotator cuff and you can't lift your arm up unless you do this, you know, and that hurts. Um, but I I went to do an elbow and instead of the guy coming flat, he came with his shoulder. It was Shanghai Pierce and he was six six, and, you know, three plus bills, you know, maybe 315. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to hit him, he came off and I just, I was like 255 at a time. I just blew out my rotator cuff and that put me you know, on the shelf, which when Bill Watts came in, you know, it would put me like, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but obviously during that time
0: as well um, on the shelf, that's when, am I right in saying that you uh, reached out again to Jake at that point in terms of your character and, you know, trying to refine the work that you've done so far? Um, how did how did that come about? And what was kind of the biggest thing you took from from Jake? Well,
1: actually, um, Jake had called me. You know, Jake's a really... He's a really good human being, you know. Mm-hmm. He's a when he's not fucked up, <laughs> which he's <laughs> not anymore, which he's not anymore. That's why he's doing so great. <laughs> um, he just called up to check on me because he heard because he he had come in. You have to remember, I met him in my club, and then when he came in WCW, he came down the power plant and he saw me in the ring, and he was like, "Page," and I go, Jake, what the hell are you doing here?" He said, I'm coming in. This is before Bill Watts got there. And uh, I said, no shit. And me and Kevin were tag teaming, like I said, at the time. So we did whatever we could do to get next to Jake Snake Roberts. (laughs) Just to drive for him, grab his bags, you know, learn from, you know, who I consider the Yoda of professional wrestling work in the ring. Mm -hmm. Telling a story. And so, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of good times together and and Jake had left because he had a big fallout with Bill Watts. And then about maybe two or three weeks later, I tore my rotator cuff and he just called up, said, How you doing? And we started talking. And he had living in a hotel because him and his old lady had split up, which really isn't a big deal. Like if you find out one of your buddies living in a hotel, you think, Oh man, come on, come on, stay with me, you know. You know, you don't want to be living in a hotel, but we lived in hotels 380 days a year. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like you were living in a hotel. You were living in, you know, you had rooms all over the place. But I invited him to come and live with me. Um, and I told Kimberly that we had it downstairs of our house. And he come and go as he please. And, you know, but I appreciate him helping me whenever he could. And uh, yeah, I, I was saying to him, I can't wait to get into the ring with you. And he was like, dude, you're going to learn more sitting on a couch, understanding what psychology is than you're going to learn in a ring with me. He goes, I used to have a thousand moves, that I had a hundred. He goes, now I got five. And five is all you really need if you really know what you're doing. I think today you need more than that. But uh, Jake Roberts today still could go out there if he could still have the mobility and tear it down and do – five moves yeah (laughs) like that's (laughs) the real that's the real art you know like and and that's kind of a forgotten art you saw it i think the last time you really saw it was with when the Rhodes brothers hooked up and cody and dustin got together which i think was one of the best matches of the decade i mean it had everything going with it and it was pretty damn cool and uh um, old school and new school, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Not without a doubt. Uh, so, obviously, um, when you when you made your return, when you went to WCW, um, you started rising up the ranks. You went for the um, WCW TV title uh, and then went on to a feud with the, the legendary macho man, Randy Savage. Um, just wonder if you could tell us about some of your memories in terms of working that feud with Savage.
1: Oh, man, I got so many. Before <laughs> I do, I'm going to show you. I, I found of course, this. Yeah. Look at this. This is, I don't know if you can see that. You see what it 1979? Wow. You see that? I mean, handsome yeah, yeah. Dallas page. <laughs> <laughs> I was a huge, handsome Jimmy Valiant fan growing up as a kid. <laughs> and uh, I loved handsome Jimmy Valiant. He, he was the coolest cat on the planet. Um, and I thought, you know, I'll just pay homage to him. You know, I didn't realize that was steel. By that time, he was the boogie-woogie man um but uh anything you get heat you know just like yeah. kevin nash when he used big sexy you know he was doing that to get heat of course he was a big handsome sexy motherfucker so <laughs> you know people got with it they didn't create any heat that's he, he tried to do it to get heat <laughs> um but randy 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 uh I, I was with eric bischoff last summer and my girlfriend Paige is with me and we just got on the subject of the macho man and she knows nothing about wrestling, but she knows who he is, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Bischoff said as much as I wanted to work with Randy, Randy wanted to work with me more. He said, that's not my words. That's his, yeah. and, you know, I, I didn't come to him with that angle. You know, the angle was, was set around Kimberly and it was set around actually the, the Playboy, um, the celebrity nudes issue that Kim and I was in. Mm-hmm. Like Kimberly had done a bunch of satellite, that's what they call them, like blondes, brunettes, and redheads. And Playboy will put out something with that. And back in the day when they used to do that. And uh, it was a really classy version. And Kim was in about three of them. And then they said to her, uh, you know, we want to put you in this issue of uh, celebrity nudes and we would really love to have you in dallas in it and kim comes to me with that i'm like what do you mean me in it well they said they want to do something like where you're tying your boots and i'm just about to put on a dress and i was like you know they they ain't doing nothing with us i mean we're mid car, you know at you know middle of the mid car." maybe bottom of the mid card at that time. And I knew I was a main event guy at that point. I just I hadn't gotten the opportunity yet. yeah. And uh, so I said, let's do it. And I never told Eric, I never told anybody. And then like two weeks later, they call Kim back and they love the layout. They want to do another photo shoot. They want to put me in a towel with a cigar and I'm massaging her, you know, and You know, it it turned into a six-page spread. So now, six months later, it's going to come out. And I got to tell Bischoff, (laughs) he was pissed. He was so, we were both drinking, you know. It wasn't like he was screaming pissed, but he was like, what the fuck are you thinking? You've got a morality clause. I'm like, hey, if I end up getting fired over it, maybe Vince will do something with it. That's what I said to him and as it turned out it came out right at the time that i was doing the whole nwo thing where they were asking me to be in it that was my idea because no one's thinking of any good ideas for me because they still don't believe in me but kevin and scott both of those guys were two of my best friends and you know i i went to kev you know who was the you know, the master of getting shit done. And I told him the angle, you know, you guys come up to me like you do everybody else. And, you know, you, you know, want me to join the NWO. And I'm like, like number seven, you want me to be number seven? Like <laughs> what happened to three or four, you know, like seven, like, fuck you. No. And walk away. Now, if we were in real life and you guys were hitting me with something, and I did that, you'd go like, oh, tally. He'll get over it. We'll get it. He's going to, he's going to come in. You know, it would be like, that's how they would treat it. And, uh, they hadn't done that with anybody. And I said, then you come back again. And I say, no, again. And then the third time you come out to the ring and it turned out to be Eddie Guerrero. They, you know, they do the, uh, you know, the, the the game to get involved in the match and show the power they have, you know, and, um, and then the next time I put the shirt on and after I hug Kevin and, you know, high five cat, Ke- uh, Scott, when he pulls away, whoosh, pull yep. him into the diamond cutter. And that was supposed to take four weeks. And, uh, when I told this to cab, he's like, go tell Bischoff. I love it. I go, dude, I gotta tell Scott, you know, he's like, uh, you know, he's the one taking the diamond cutter. And he's like, dude, you created Razor Ramon. The Diamond Stud. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. any of that early stuff. Yeah. But that's that's ex- you know pretty much what Razor Ramon became.
2: Yeah. That
1: was the beginning phase. Plus I got him the job when no one would take his call. You know, like WWF, WCW would not return his call. So he called me and I got him and I changed the hair and the mustache, all that shit. And even gave him the toothpick, but I gave it to me too. And in a promo, we were leaving Waffle House. So I gave him a toothpick. I went, oh, dude, I got this great idea. You know, I figured, at the end, we flicked the toothpick into the camera and I had it in my mouth. And right to the end of the promo, it fell out of my mouth. And I was like, no. <laughs> and bad guy was born. And, uh, so he was like, dude, he'll do it. Just go yeah. tell Bishop. I go, no, I'm telling Scott. I got to ask Scott, you know, for the favor. So bottom line, he's like, I love it. Tell Bishop. I go, I ain't telling him shit.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: I go, let Kev tell him. Yeah, And Kev told him. And, uh, you know, the reason why I said it was supposed to take four weeks, go back and watch the TVs because they're every week. I mean, everybody, every week is a different thing. It mm-hmm. takes 10 weeks to happen mm. because the bookers, you know, they didn't see me as a top guy. And if I take those guys down, like let's, let's give that to somebody like whoever pick another mm. guy, but it was my idea and Bischoff loved it. And he pitched it, you know, he threw it out. There's what we're going to do. And it got taken off the TV multiple weeks to a point where I was like, this isn't going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen. And sometimes, you know, and I try to teach this to everybody. You know, it's everything, like, I thought I was ready in 95, but I really wasn't. You know, I thought I was, but I really wasn't. When it actually happened, going into 97, I was white hot and I knew exact, I would not be denied. I had put so much work in, you know, it took eight years to get there, you know, from the managing right on through to that very deal. And it was Kevin and Scott, which, which made much go, I want to work with that son of a bitch, (laughs) you know, because he was, you know, think of it, Kevin, Scott, Hulk, Macho, you know, Mach was, it was always either Hulk and Macho oh yeah. you know, or just Macho, <laughs> you know, now Kevin and Scott were the two hottest guys in the business when they came over 95, 97, 97, they were, they were white hot, you know, and uh, for, for them to take that, it happened in New Orleans and it was our first dome show. It was 33,000 people there. Like if you could have scripted it and really understood what was going to happen Odo's next four months, and you wanted it to be the best thing to ever happen, that's how you would have done it. But that's not what they were doing. They were pushing it off until it looked like it was never going to happen. Yeah. And uh, thank God it worked exactly the way it did. And then Mach, Nick, I guess he must talk to Eric. Because it wasn't like I requested, you know, I'd really like to work with Macho. Mm-hmm. You know, I could do that in 98. Yeah. <laughs> I could do that in 99, you know, but I wasn't doing that in 96. You know, or yeah. I was just ha- so happy to be there, you know. So, uh, yeah. No, the macho was, uh, you know, it's so funny because today, pretty much every smart person who understands wrestling understands that. There is no way that those guys could do what they're doing out there if they didn't talk about it. Like, impossible. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that they can remember it is unbelievable. And Mott used to write everything down. Like, Mm -hmm. everything. So did I. And people would bust my balls about it. Dude, what are you writing all that shit down? You you can't script everything out and go, "I want you to know where I'm going. I'm going to have the best preparation and the best best improvisation mm-hmm. as an actor. I got a new show coming out which I'm really proud of, man. It could cha- it could change my life again. Like wow. There's there's three times my life has changed. Like mm-hmm. in a big way. The first one was when Macho did the favor for me. Mm-hmm. I can't even explain to you how it changed my life. I mean, it made me from a guy who was a guy working so hard to get there to the guy yeah. in 1997. The two hottest yeah. guys in 97 were me, it's Don't Call Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. You know, we were the two hot guys. If they'd have treated me like they treated Austin, <laughs> We'd have been right up there together, but that's okay. I had a, I had a great run. I have no complaints. So I've, I'm very blessed. But when Randy put me over, and I'll give you some of the before stuff before this, in the middle with my finish, and then all the NWO came down, hmm. you know, and sing so many times coming down to save me and getting the rub from him and Piper and all those guys. It was like, all of a sudden you went from a guy you can't get a hit, a song played on the radio to three fucking top 10 hits, you know, all at the same time. Yeah. Um it was it was unbelievable. Just the way people perceive you after that, you know? Um and the uh like I was saying, Randy wrote down everything. And if you would guys like Hulk didn't do that. And but he did it with the giant, I should say Andre. <laughs> and I did you guys see the documentary? Mm-hmm. Did you yep. see it where Hulk had it all written out? Yeah. I couldn't believe <laughs> that he put that out there like that. Because no. back then you didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I worked with Hulk, we talked it back a little bit. Everything else was out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because he, he didn't, you know, he wasn't one of those guys, but he did it for Andre. You know, and something like this, you want to give them, like, here's what I really want to do, you know? I can remember Sting saying to me, D, this is this is like a Nitro match, you know? I go, yeah, and? <laughs> you know, I loved working with Sting. I think my best match ever is that that uh, Nitro 99 match where I dropped uh, the title to him in uh, at the 9 o'clock hour, Uh during going home, like we're going to finish the match, the ref says to me, Now we got a minute left, maybe. And he goes, we got five more minutes. I go, what do you mean we got five more? And he goes, dude, we need five more minutes. Because of the commercial breaks and all that kind yeah, of shit. Of course, yeah. So Stink was walking at me, and I grabbed him. I go, go to the floor. He's like, what? <laughs> and like, go to the floor. <laughs> and you'll see me choke him at one time. I'm going, we got five more minutes. And I chopped them because, like, dude, I'm not trying to jerk you around. It was the best match ever because we'd worked together so many times. Yeah. You know, so we knew what the other guy could do. And, you know, well, we had fun out there, you know. Like Randy was super serious and freaking, he wanted to know everything that was gonna happen. So did I. Yeah. Everybody bust my balls about it. No one. No one busted Randy's balls about it because he was Randy Savage, you know? <laughs> and uh, I just said, that's crazy. That's a crazy double-edged sword. Today, everyone does it, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't do this shit. That there, It's impossible. But the fact that they can remember it is mind-boggling, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was the first part that was really great because we could talk about things in detail and we both understood each other. And Randy really wanted to see, like, I don't think it was ever planned that he was going to put me over that first time. I think he was giving me an opportunity to get out there and see what, how I could get the people to react. Yeah. And in 97, the people were white hot. I mean, that, those crowds were insane. I put it up against anything. AEW crowds are insane. <laughs> so were ours at that time.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, and, uh, the night before we go to, um, where I want to say it was TIPOLO. I can't remember exactly where that match spring stampede was. And for some reason, I don't remember being TIPOLO, Um, um, which is where the King Elvis Presley was born TIPOLO, Mississippi. Um, but, uh, the night before, we were in Florence, South Carolina. No, uh, yeah, Florence, South Carolina. And we're the main event. And I've only been in that position, you know, that, that month. I'd never been in the main event before. And every night, I'm pretty much getting my ass whooped by the NWO. <laughs> I might have Randy ready to you know, to, to, to t- put a cutter on him, but the NWO would come running out, and I'd either get left laying, hit a couple of diamond cutters and escape, but I never got to Randy until this night. And this is the night before. And he says, um, "Arn Anderson comes into the locker room and he says, so um, what do you want to do tonight, Randy? Tying up his boots. He looks up and he goes, you think I want to take the diamond cutter? (laughs) And he went right back to tying his boots up. And Arn looked at me and I looked at Arn, and Back in the day, Arn had said that I was never going to be a top guy. And he said, I would never going to be a top guy because I'm not perceived as a top guy. And, you know, unless, you know, the only way you're going to become if Hogan, Sting, Flair, Luger, Macho, if one of those guys put you over, you can be a top guy. He said, but. That's not gonna happen. So now it's happening right, right there. Right? <laughs> later, later, later on, Arn would apologize to me. And I love Arn Anderson, but it's just this is in fact what happened, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And Arn looked at
1: me and he was like, Well, Diamond, uh, <laughs> I hope you realize what that could do for your this could do for your career. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and yeah. we went out there and we tore it down, man. And every time I started to get the crowd big time behind me, whoa, he stop me. And uh, finally, it's time for me to blow a comeback. And I start going with it. People are going crazy. And he stops me. And he goes to slam me. And he said, diamond cutter. And I flipped it into a cutter. And the roof blew off. And now just because I've got my ass kicked, you know, pretty much most of the match. So I'm selling. He's selling. I was, was so great about Randy. When you hit him with your finish, he didn't move. That's the way I was. You when you're finished, I'm not moving. You know, I might not move for a minute. You know? So I might have to wake me up, whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> you know I mean? That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, totally agree. And I just, and I just laid there. And he laid there. And then it was a rumbling. And I just laid my arm across and the whole building, one, two, three, and they exploded. And I, it was Maxwell smart. Get smart used to have what they call the cone of silence. And they would bring the cone down and only you could hear what each other were saying. And it was so loud in there. I felt like the code of silence came down over us and I could hear him as he's looking up at the lights go, well, I guess we know what we're doing for spring stampede. <laughs> and I was like, Man, is that real? Is that is that really gonna happen? And then it did, you know, and again, like I said, it changed my life, man. Somebody
0: One of my can't. favorite
1: Randy Savage stories is you know, we we went on, we, we couldn't go right back to the next month, which worked for us big time because Randy had torn his partial tear on his Achilles heel coming off the top rope. So I literally sent him to what I call my voodoo doctor, this guy named Dr. Ken West. And uh, when I tell you this guy's a miracle worker, I, I can support it by eight pay-per-views and ready to rumble. I use ready to rumble as an example, but it happened every time. I, I was so hurt. I was so beat up that I literally, there was times where I couldn't get out of bed. And ready to rumble there's five thousand extras. They're not, you know, um, what do they call it? Where they digitize that shit? Yeah, yeah, it's five thousand people there. Five thousand extras, and um, it's all set. Everything's done. Like tomorrow, we're doing it. I, they, I can't get out of bed. My body is so beat up that I, I can't, I can't walk. Never mind wrestle. And they flew my guy, Dr. Weston. He worked with me for five hours. You watch any of that match, you never think I was hurt ever. He did it when me and, Jay, me, me and Jeff Jerry had a triple cage. The night before, I stepped into a hole and almost fell all the way through and almost broke my neck. And again, could not walk. And he flew in and put Humpty Dumpty back together again. <laughs> so... I had brought Randy to see him, and uh, to tell you the voodoo doctor part of it, he's doing muscle testing and sign language on his body. And he says, "How long have you known um, that you uh, are allergic to milk? You're, you know, lactose intolerance. How do you know that? How do you know that?" I mean, he he was, was kind of freaked him out a little bit, and he walked in with crutches and he walked out without. So oh, yeah. we put it on the following month. And then we had Savage Page 2, which was that match. During that match, Scott Hall was involved. I want to say Randy hit me with the bell. I can't remember exactly how the finish went. But they were screaming, go home. Now, we are the main event again? You get the two hours. 59 minutes and 59 seconds. When it goes to that next second, you know what happens? It goes to the next program. Like what happened with Goldberg yeah, yeah. that time. I think that because Hulk and Warrior went crazy long. You know, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. And bottom line is for Randy and I, we we got to get out of there before they ended it. So that's why I heard the ref screaming. So I took, the, I think, I'm, I think I took the belt from Randy. I took Scott's finish. And then all I remember hearing was, which was those cables moving when Randy would boost himself. And he was 254 pounds. And when he hit you, you were his crash pad. And I mean, it, there was nothing fake about it He almost mm-hmm. killed Charles Robinson I mean he literally almost killed him yeah. really he fucked him up because he landed so hard on him you know when he was younger I'm sure he took a lot of that brunt yeah. but as he got older I mean you, you were just happy to take it you know it wasn't, <laughs> like, wasn't like it was a bad thing but my my, I've been pissed at blood at that point for like about four weeks straight so I was like bro can you please land on my stomach not my ribs. I was, There was a reason why I wore that rib guard for so long. Mm. Well, he landed on my face, <laughs> and you can see it, slow motion, right across my face. So I'm walking backstage, and I look at Kimberly, and I go, I stop, I look at her. I go, did I just wrestle? Wow. He said, what? I go, is it Nitro? Did I just wrestle? She goes, stop it, Paige. You're scaring me. I go, what the fuck, Kim? I go, is it Nitro? What is the deal? She goes, she goes, no, it's a great American Bash. You just wrestled Randy Savage. I said, what happened? And she told me. And if you watch that, because I saw it, I think about three months ago, the ending of the match. And as Scott comes in to raise Randy's hands, I start to sit up. I don't know why, but I lay back down. Mm. It goes to black. After that, I sat back up again. Got on my feet. Their backs Mm. to me. Mm. I stumble, fall through the ropes, give them both a finger. And she goes, and here's where we are now. I go, oh, my God. They're going to want to kill me. Like, that would be like John Wayne, um, Sylvester Stallone, and Clint Eastwood, all boom boom, 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 boom. And you pull a Tony Montana, you know, where, yeah. ah, come on, you can't kill me. You know, like, it's the biggest insult in our business, especially mm-hmm. after what I just took. Yeah. I went right in the locker room and put a table in front of me. I was thinking, man, just fucking, you know, trying to keep myself explained so you can't bum rush me. <laughs> they kicked that door open. They were mad as hell. And I, they, I go, you knocked me out. I had no idea what happened. I swear to God, I don't, you think I would do that? I go, do you really think I would do that? And I threw the table out of I go, let's go. They knew I wouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> You know, at the moment you're just mad as fuck. Mm. When I first broke in in '88 as a manager, at one point in time, the AWA was 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 working with WCCW in Texas and Memphis, and we were all in Memphis. And Batu and Sammy, the Samoan SWAT team, they beat these two good-looking young kids from Tennessee. Now we're in Tennessee. They hit them with their finish, blah, blah, blah. You know, friggin' Samoans are walking away, and they're almost to know where the locker rooms are. And those two kids from Memphis got up in the corners and raised their hands like, we're okay, we'll be back next week. I watched those Samoans look at each other like, what the fuck are they doing? They ran in the ring. They beat the fuck out of them threw them down the aisle beat them up down the aisle and it was we had to walk downstairs threw them down the stairs I mean heads in the trim they, they beat the fuck out of them <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I could think of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what yeah. I did was way worse <laughs> and, but, but I was knocked out you know next morning I my face is like this you know and it was had gone down it was really big I had a picture of it let me see if I um I can't see it but um I had a picture of it forever and somewhere in this place here but I was waiting at that where all the, the boys come in you know and the trucks come in and the big speakers and you know all the stuff there's only one way in you can't get in without security mm-hmm. so i'm waiting at the end of that right at the end of the ramp and i'm just hanging out waiting for waiting for Randy and here he comes finally and he walks up to me and he can see my face is swollen and he goes mm, sorry brother I just walked off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Wow. laughs> uh, oh, that's amazing. You know, I had a lot of great, I had a lot, a lot, of fun with him. He made, he, he made my, you know, Dusty would get so mad at me for giving him so much credit, but goes Dusty, you know, here's a great picture of me. This is me in the American Dream in Florida Championship Wrestling, thirty three wow. years ago. That's amazing. awesome. Yeah. Love that. Love that picture. Now, the really <laughs> funny part is you know who Willie Nelson is? Oh, yeah. This is that night Dusty got <laughs> up and started singing with Willie. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. Okay, this is for you guys here. This picture right here, you can see it. That's Hulk, Stinger, me, and Pillman. And we're in the UK just taking over bars as we walk <laughs> into them. That one run we did in 94, I think it was. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so obviously,
0: you know, I say you say, you, you fought with Randy and then pretty much the rest was history. You go on to be a three-time world heavyweight champion. You've been ready to rumble. Um, And then eventually, uh, you know, WWE buys WCW. Um, Obviously, you're one of the few who actually accepts the buyout of your contract. And then, you know, people's champion versus people's champion is what we think we're going to get. And eventually you show up uh, as the stalker character. What what were your thoughts um, on that? And, you know, was there anything else you were
1: pitched? You know, what did you wish would have happened? I, I never should have went. No, I never should. Well, I, I, I pitched people's champion versus people's champion because I had yeah. the greatest fucking idea. And I had it two years before that. I'd met Rock because I we were both in Canada. Um, and um, we had a pay-per-view. They're doing a Saturday night. So Show was the champion back then. And I raised Big Show back when he was a giant. You know, got him ready for Hogan. Like I was the guy. Who helped get him ready because you know he friggin' um you know he was 24 and green as grass and I lived down at power plant at the time and yeah. me and him became best friends. And um I wanted to see him when he had the you know world title. We wanted to go out with him, you know. Strippers are crazy in uh <laughs> in uh in uh, the, uh, in Canada. So we would have we would have had a good time. And um so we're getting ready to leave and the rock is the final match. And I want to see him work. In the. I want to see him work in the house show. And um, so uh, afterwards we're going down to get the bags. We're in the sky boxes, you know, which shows with family because his wife is from Canada, from Toronto. And um, he says, you want to meet the rock before we leave? I said, yeah, I'd love to meet that cat. You know? So we, you know, we come in the locker room and there's nobody there. And uh, Joe goes, hey, Rock, you're still here. He goes, yeah, I'm in the shower. He goes, awesome. He goes, I got some huge Mark who's dying to meet you. <laughs> and uh, I just, I, 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 I don't know why I said this, but I had to come back on something since since show uh, said that. And I said, yeah, and I don't want to meet you unless you're naked and your balls are all soapy. <laughs> now... It's one of those things that when you, when you hear somebody's voice, you know, that voice, Mm. but not in this building. Mm Yeah. You don't know that here. Oh yeah. And, and so the rock sticks his head around the corner. He's like, Oh, diamond goes, I'll be out in a minute. Take your time. bro. He's all started up like the Michelin man. (laughs) And, um, so, um, comes out, we just start talking. I was like, you know, jake called me the day they brought you in as rocky my via jake was on the booking committee at the time mm-hmm. and he called me and he said wait do you see this new kid rocky Maivia? he's my via's grandson and rocky johnson's son is is it's my via's grandson and rocky johnson's son He said, this kid is so good-looking. I don't know if I want to fight him or fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) And Rock popped on that. He goes, that sounds like something Jake would say. Um, I said, well, you know, he told me, even though it didn't go good for you in the beginning, that you were going to be one of the biggest stars in the business. He said the same thing about me in 1993, and he had no reason to say that, not at that point in time. He said the same thing about Austin in '94. And uh, he said, well, Jake has got a really good eye for talent. I said, you know, so, you know, Steve and I are best friends. And uh, I was, I've been watching you just as watch your career go. And I really love what you're doing now. He had the mullet chops then. And, <laughs> and um, he, um, I said, you did something recently I saw in an interview where you were being yourself. And then you flipped into the rock and then you flip back into yourself then back into rock and go that shit was really entertaining and I said I can't wait to see what you do with the rest of your career bro and we shook hands and I'm almost out the door and I hear hey diamond and as Big Show gets out of my way I can see him putting on one of his $1,500 Versace shirts and I can see that fucker just rolling (laughs) into character. And he said, you know, Don, there's only one people's champion. Mm -hmm. And Big Joe was like, oh. (laughs) And I just deadpan stared at him. And I let it go, and I let it go. And then I finally went, you know, Rock, you're right. And you, well, you, my friend, you're looking at him. Oh and I was out the <laughs> door and Big was like, Oh my god, you stopped him. You nobody stops him. So what ended up <laughs> happening, what ended up happening is we went out that night and we got in about three in the morning. And I'm waking up Kimberly. Wake up, oh no, no. come on, wake up. I don't want to fuck you, I want to tell you a story. Like, <laughs> no. so. So freaking, I said, I know I'm gonna show up in the WWF. She's like, what? You know, I know I'm gonna show up in WWF. She's like, what are you talking about? You just signed a, I just signed a, a multi-million dollar three-year deal, like guaranteed. And um, I was like, no, no, no. I'm gonna end my career in WWF. It's good, that's where it's gonna end. That's what I grew up with, you know. Mm. Like, I'm definitely not gonna not miss that. And um, so she wakes up. I go, here's what's going to happen. They're going to turn off all the lights. So, of course, Jericho. Then 15 seconds go by. Then 30 seconds go by. And here's this blacked out arena. And you ain't hearing shit. And then Jim Ross says, hold on, everybody. We're having some technical difficulty. And then you hear for the first time ever, my voice at WWF arena say, Who's the real people's champion? Spotlight. Yes. You're looking at him. Bam! Oh, boom, 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 explosions. I go to the ring. I tell, you know, I, I, I talk about The Rock and gimmick infringement, something he would do for mm. people. Everybody was stealing his shit. You stole everybody's shit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but you, he made it better. Like, he is the real people's champion. Like, he could be, if if he, and the way he's doing it, I would believe that he might. Like, he ain't going to run for governor or any of that bullshit. He's going to run for president if he does anything. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, everybody loves him. The only way he got the most heat is when he backed Biden. When he backed Biden, that got him a lot of heat with the frigging Republicans. People who loved him. You know, so I couldn't believe he did it. He could have just come in himself, but the guy could be elected. And I, I think he's pretty, you know, pretty smart cat. I mean, he's the biggest star in the world. And he's one of us. I mean, I couldn't be any prouder of him. You know, uh, I would love to have worked with him. But now let's look at the other side of it. What did I learn from it? When you've got something that you really believe in, you can't be afraid to walk away from the table. I can't tell you how many times people wanted to invest in DDP yoga. Now I'm branding it all DDPY. It'll always be DDP yoga. Company will always be DDP yoga. I even call it that from time to time. But my DDPY program, why? Because I want people to stop calling it just fucking yoga yeah. because it's not you know we're not with all the yogis we do yoga positions but we're way the fuck over there mm-hmm. you know and it's just different and what I learned was what I should have done was said to Vince and Shane that day that you know this is a great idea but not for Diamond Dallas Pay. when you want to do people's can't be people's champion call me you mm-hmm. know and we'll talk about it you know that's what I should have done I went in there being a huge mark for Vince the kid I was and I was just I love this man I mean <laughs> I grew up watching him you know I interviewing Andre on a box cradle and looking up at him got the six 6'2 he made himself look like he was 5'4 you know next to the giant because he you know he built it up Andre but, you know, I thought that, you know, I had so much respect and still do for Vince McMahon. Like, mm. they didn't treat me good coming in there, but they sure as hell did the last, you know, ever right up to where I helped AEW. And the only reason I, I, don't, I don't look at it is I helped AEW, I helped Cody Rhodes. Yeah. Where without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas page. And yeah. in the beginning, I was helping Cody back when he was a kid and mentoring him as a kid because what Dusty did for me. But at some point, it became about me and Cody, you know, because I love yeah. the kid, you know, and I think he's brilliant. And, you know, there's a guy who did exactly what I would have done. Yeah. You know, I would have said, if I thought that I was the top guy, which I did, I mean, I was on the cusp. If they didn't take the NWO idea, I was gone. And of would have given me the release, mm. you know. I mean, actually, there was a tour that I did, that picture I just showed you with Hulk. Yeah. And, I had five, you know, I guess we did about, maybe we wrestled 12 or 13 days out of like 16, uh, and we did the UK, and then we did Germany, and West Berlin, and all that shit, and I can remember my fifth match, I got out of the ring, I'm the curtain jerk, 1994, and I stepped through the curtain, and Hulk grabs me, and he pulls me off to the side, and he says, how you doing, I go, uh, doing what, Hulk, oh, did I do something wrong? He's like, no, how are you getting so much better? He said, I don't really, I don't see you that much on TV. He said, but you know, when I do, you've always got something new and you you hit it and you come up and you get the people involved. He said, this is what they're doing with you, right? They're putting you on the road so you can learn your craft. I said, Hulk, the only reason I'm on the road, I haven't been on the road in four months. I said, the only reason I'm on the road is because my last real name before I changed it was Falkenberg and the Krauts love their Germans. And I got a smoking hot wife that walks me to the ring. He goes, well, how the hell are you doing it, that? Because if you don't wrestle, you don't get better. It's really like anything. It's all about reps. Repetition is the mother of learning. And I said, uh, well, I went down to power plant, you know, and when I realized they're not going to really use me, I just started training all the young guys. And I figured out that the more you train someone, the more you learn, the more you learn, the better you get. And I guess for your attention, like I'm blown away. It's like, he goes, whatever the hell it is, because he, he didn't understand, mm. you know, that because there was no such thing as a performance center before Yeah, we had a power plant. Mm-hmm. And... Um, And that's where you had to learn and really teach, of course, WWE to get to a whole different level with the Performance Center. That place is unbelievable. And there's a hundred different men and women down there. Mm. And there's always recycling because some guys just can't cut it. They're gone. New people come in. It'll never stop the flow. But he said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Because it's not this year or next year or the year after. He said, but somewhere down the line, I honestly believe you have the ability to draw huge money with me. This is 1994. And I'm like, wow. As he walks away, I'm thinking, did Hulk Hogan just say he watched my matches? He watched everybody. Like, who could he draw money with? Yeah. And he was like, you know, um, know, him telling me that we can draw money? Now, let's just... I go four years in the future. Dennis Rodman comes in for the second time. I go to Eric Bischoff's house. Now I'm in a good spot. It's 1998. I, I'm a made man. <laughs> I, I walk down and I tell Eric, you know, Rodman coming in. I know it's going to be Rodman and Hogan. I go, he's in the playoffs right now, man, with Carl Malone who's my buddy. I said, what if they ended up in the finals together? I said this cat, he can go he's a great athlete. Four years later. This comes together. Malone and Rodman. Malone, I should say Rodman and Hogan are on the Tonight Show, which is the biggest show in nighttime television ever. And me and Malone come in from the wings and throw down chairs and, and shoot our angle on the tonight show. My girl's trying to, my girl's trying to beat me in. Um, and we come in and we, we shoot the angle of Tonight show. So four years later, the bash at the beach, It was the second biggest pay-per-view in the history of WCW. The only thing that's bigger is Sting and Hogan at Starcade. They built that for a year. So (laughs) bottom line is Hogan was right. I mean, Hulk is a really smart guy. And uh, he's stayed on top for, you know, 35 years, 40 years. you know so uh you know pretty pretty amazing man that you say little things and then you just stick on them and you just keep doing them until it happens yeah definitely so um
2: just to uh, to sort of mention DDP Yoga, because obviously you've uh, you've talked on it a little bit there. Um, and you mentioned earlier, like so many different people are, are, are doing it. Um, obviously, we've got the likes of Chris Jericho, who's been really outspoken about um, about it. Um, we've also heard Drew McIntyre is, um, uh, again, he's someone who's um, he's a big user of DDP Yoga. And I believe he's even sort of traveled some great distance to train directly with yourself as well. Yeah. But uh, what I want to talk about is obviously because it, it's there's no doubt it's a great workout, but um, there's also this this element this side of it that's um, it's all about the the mindset and changing your mindset, um, and it's something that if I'm honest I didn't realize at first until I started looking into DDP yoga. Uh, is that something you can sort of explain to us a little bit on, on sort of how you go about that the whole the mindset approach and, and how you go about changing that?
1: You know, it's it's kind of like I was talking about earlier with um, with uh, my book, Positively Unstoppable, Mm. that is that is built to reboot your brain. And because so many people are so destructive, (laughs) you know, most people have no, they don't have any self-confidence. They, you know, they, I always tell people there, no one can do more damage to to you than you, like nobody. And um, I'm looking for this one thing here. Uh, which is something I, I, I t- I'm reading, I'm not reading, I'm listening to a book right now, The Power of Habit. And sometimes I'll listen to stuff just to see if I'm on track. And I do everything that that book, I teach everything that that book talks about, which is yeah. reassuring. But one of the things that they said, one of the things that's so different about my DDPY program is that the community, Like on Facebook, one of my buddies, Chris Gabriano, just started a page, and everybody knows what Facebook is. Yeah, and it was just DDP Yoga, one word, and it was just him and a couple of the guys and a couple of the girls got involved, and now there's over sixty thousand people on it. And when I was watching change, I was you know on the uh, have the uh, power of habit. It was talking about change, and people must believe change is feasible. The same process that makes AA so effective. The power of a group to teach individuals how to believe happens whenever people come together to help one another change. Belief is easier when it occurs in a community. Now that's something that I have that I didn't create. Now, of course, I create created the mindset and the positive influence that goes behind it. Yeah. But if you go on Facebook, I tell people don't listen to a word I have to say about my own <laughs> program. Go on Facebook and go to DDP Yoga, one word, and just read. Mm-hmm. Like on, on my app, which everyone should get the app because then you can try it. Yeah. Cannot cost you anything because you get it for seven days. But every Monday I've got motivational Monday. I mm-hmm. want to inspire you with something new that's going to move you. Every Tuesday is the newest workout. It could be me, it could be my girlfriend Paige. It could be, it could be freaking any number of trainers that I have. Every Wednesday is a new cooking show where I'm going to show you how to eat healthy food that tastes amazing. Every Thursday is tip of the week where I might take a position and show you how to get the most out of it. Every Friday is Fabulous Friday. I used to call it Fabulous Facebook Friday, but they wouldn't let us boost it out there. So I want, I just take stories that I read that's on Facebook and I'm so (laughs) blown away by it. And we also came up with face-to-face Friday, which is before and after, or really before and during. And to see the people put them up there and the community helps each other. And that's what makes like, it took eight years for Diamond Dallas Page to get over as a wrestler. It took eight years before DDP yoga made a dime. Before we actually could go, all right, we paid our bills, We made a dime, a dollar, a thousand, blah, blah, blah. And it started with Arthur, the disabled veteran. Yeah, But Arthur's transformation was in 2007. The video exploded in 2012. Yeah. So everything that, everybody wants results right now. You can't have them. And if you do get results right now, you won't appreciate it. And that's just the fact of life. Yeah, Anybody who's given anything does not appreciate it. But if you got to work for something, like there are so many, we're doing right now, and we can only do it in the States and Canada because the insurance company won't let us go out of North America. If right. so, it costs so much more money. But I have the positively unstoppable million dollar challenge. And the third place person gets five grand, the second place gets 10 grand. The first place, there's a hundred of these books lined up like this. This one doesn't have a number on it, but they know they'll have a number on it. One through a hundred. It cost me 40 grand to do this contest. Yeah. But it also cost me another 56 grand in prizes because if you don't win that you know twenty five thousand. in the all the stuff i put behind it by the time it's all said done, it probably cost me about 100 grand to do the contest but mm-hmm. so many more people get involved yeah. and if they're using the app and it's building our building our business up but at the same time not one person goes i'm gonna win that million bucks what would make them think they've they're going to lose, you know, 85 pounds or whatever. They haven't to lose anything. They're, they don't come to this, to DDP, uh, which would be um, positively unstoppable.com. They don't come to that page to get involved to win money. They come to be involved with the community.
2: Yeah. But
1: this is what happened this last year, 2020. And... When it came to, I, you just, I gotta get down to three of them, right? I couldn't. It got down to the last four people because any one of these four people on their transformation could have won, yeah. any one of them. So there's three categories. One is the transformation physically. Next, the transformation mentally. Like what is this? This positively unstoppable, the art of owning it. It is the story you tell yourself. It is your inner voice. That can be really destructive or it can be insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. And if you watch, go back or go on that page and look for Scotty Boots or Justin Dobbins or Caitlin Kay or the girl who won um, uh, Candy Herndon, McCandy, Candy McCarthy Herndon. And you see the who the but they are today they ain't nothing like the people that mm-hmm. came there just looking for some kind of hope so how does a transformation happen it happens in a group but it also wow. happens with the knowledge that i give you like one of the things that no one really has because i don't think they've ever gone about doing shit the way i do it Um, I created something I called the list and the list was created because when Arthur Borman, like I have a procedure, take the sick picture, take your weight, your measurements, um, your pain, um, tell me your why that's number one. What are your goals? Do all this, you know, document everything. And it was just all simple stuff back then. It wasn't video footage or any of that shit. It was just simple stuff. Watch this movie. Uh, we didn't have, we didn't have, even have a Resurrection yet. It was just food ink, genetic roulette, and, um, and forks, uh, and sick fat, nearly dead. Those were the th- three movies. And I wanted you to read those, watch those movies, because they're gonna educate you to what the fuck you're eating. Because mm-hmm. you're eating, you wanna know why you're 300 pounds? or 280, you're eating shit. Let me show, you. They, 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 they pronounce it as real food, but it's not. So let me show you stuff and educate you. So the reason where the list came from, when Arthur's video went viral, and it did a couple of times, people would write me like stories about why they need me and why they need the program But you don't care anyway, you know, because you only get it for the money or blah blah blah. I'm like, wait a minute, what if that person was in such dire need? Because I'd read them all in the beginning, Mm. not anymore, but I read I read them all in the beginning. And and you don't want to help me anyway, and I can't afford it. So I said, okay. And I would have the girl work with me. I said, okay. Send that person. Here's my cut and paste response. Do all of this. And I'll give you the DVDs. You know how many people did that? Maybe three to five percent. Wow. What do you mean I've got to? I've got to do something. You're not just going to give it to me. No, first of all, you're not going to appreciate it. Yo, know, Larry Hagman. Do you ever see? Did you ever uh, see reruns of the show called Dallas? Mm-hmm. It was a show that was in our state. It was you. Hum- Humongous, humongous, mm. and Larry Hagman was—he was, was J.R. Ewing. Yeah, and I grew up with him. when he was uh, Colonel Nelson or when he was I Dream a Genie. Uh, Barbara Eaton, which was a which was a funny show about uh, astronauts uh, and a genie, and she was gorgeous. So me and my brother in a bar in 1988, and I see, oh my God. There's Jr. And the guy who looked like Nick Nolte and two gorgeous chicks, right? And I sent him a round of, of uh, he was drinking um, vodka and uh, fresh squeezed orange juice. And I sent him around. And uh, later, when he leaves, he comes over. There's no one else in the bar, but me and my brother and him and his, these girls. And he comes over and he says, well, I said, I want to thank you. He said, I really appreciate that round. And I said, man, I said, I'm a huge fan. Uh, and he said, really? He goes, what do you do? I just got into professional wrestling at the time. It was my first day. After that weekend, I was seeing my brother in LA. I said, well, I, I, run, I run a nightclub in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. He goes, well, then you're a damn liar. I go, I'm a liar? Why am I a liar? He goes, because our show comes on. And I said, at 10 o'clock. I said, I run the place. I stay. This is what happened last week. And he popped. And I said, "So you really do watch?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Would you mind signing this dollar for me?" He said, "Absolutely." He said, "You know, normally, I would make someone tell me a joke, or recite me a poem, or something that that they have that they could do for me." And I said, "Really?" And he goes, "Well, you already bought me the round, so you did well more than way more than I would ask anyone to do." And I said, well, "Why did you make them do that?" He goes. Because then it's worth something to them. Mm -hmm. He said, now there's a story attached to that napkin. And I was like, wow, wow. that That is so real. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's why I came up with a list. Now the list is up on the app. It's in the user guide. Mm. And it's in a a section of there. But I'm moving it to the front page of the, uh, of the, uh, app and a reason we're right on the, the dashboard. So it'll always be there. So I always go, go on the, get the app, go to the list, do the list. If you knew how many people I was working with and send me their food and everything, you would never believe it. None of them are stars. None of them are high profile people. They're regular people. And that's the shit that nobody does, and I'll always do it because I actually give a shit, and I want to see people. You know, it's funny. Me and Jake were on the road one time. We just started calling people, you know, and thanking them for getting the program. And the conversations were super funny. But I remember one time we called somebody in the UK, and he was like, "Hello, oh. like, yes, <laughs> no, hey, I got Jake to stick around with Okay. Blah, blah, blah. You know, bottom line is he didn't say much. Really. Okay, man, thanks for getting the program. We hung up. I go, man, I've never had a reaction like that. And Dylan, who's in the back seat, you know, giving us the numbers, you know, type them in for us. He goes, well, he goes, I just realized it's about four in the morning in the UK <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Amazing.
0: Hell of a wake-up call. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we also just wanted to touch on obviously the relentless documentary. So you know I've watched it two or three times already. It's it's amazing. You know it's so you know I got so emotional just just watching it. it choked me up on several occasions. Um, just a powerful tale of just overcoming adversity. You know. <laughs> I think you said, you know, it took eight years to to make it work. You know, you invested all that, all your money and your your nest egg into it and everything. And then obviously the Arthur, Arthur Borman story and, you know, which as you said, it only went viral like years afterwards and to see what it is today, you know, it's, it's crazy, but, you know, was this the first time obviously that you realized that, you know, DDPY wasn't just, you know, helping people change their, you know, their getting healthier or their eating habits but you were you were actually changing the lives and in some cases saving people's lives we know about Jake we know about Scott you know it's it's so powerful you know was, was this when when you realized like when you were you doing this documentary was it before
1: then it really was working with Arthur because that mm. was one of mm. the things like like it started with like every single person who got the program when I first it was just DVDs And when I was putting them out there, I mean, I friggin' got the order. I went to the post office. I mean, I did everything. And I would write this cut and paste email that every single person thanking them for investing in the program, um, saying that I, um, I, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want to, I just want to thank you for investing in the program. But I've got five questions. I'd really appreciate you answering. His answers were so amazing that I literally wrote him back and said, "Hey, bro, thanks for the detail." Um, I said, um, "Can you tell me a little bit about yourself?" And he basically said that he was. Uh, um, the cliff notes were morbidly obese that he was um a disabled veteran and relegated the thinking of himself as a piece of furniture and i was like wow so i said can you send me some pictures of you and where you're at right now and he sent me this picture right here mm-hmm. and that picture now I wore knee braces my whole career, basketball, wrestling, everything. So that didn't bother me. I didn't realize that wife had to strap him into those knee braces because he couldn't get enough flexibility. And then had to put the sleeves over the braces and attach it to the back brace and then grab his canes is that he would cuffs, as he would call them, and hobble to the bathroom. You know, I was like, wow, man. I said, um... I said, let me send you something. And I sent him this food plan that completely deals with health. Mm-hmm. It's not about, he's a great, like the meals on my app taste delicious. This is about someone who's just trying to get back some health and drop some weight. Because yeah. I knew with this program, he could lose 50 pounds. And he was two five six 296, 297 pounds. And if he could just get under 250, the VA would operate on his knees again and see if that would help. So that was my goal. Mm. And what happened was he lost 32 pounds the first week. Excuse me, first month. 20 uh 22 the second month, and 18 the third. So he'd lost 72 pounds in three months. More importantly, he lost 140 pounds in 10 months. You know, more importantly, he lost the knee braces, back braces, and canes, not just to walk but run. Okay. So I knew, okay, put the food in there. That's so important. Like most doctors will never tell you that food can heal you and food can especially fake food can fuck you up you want to know why cancer and heart disease and diabetes and obesity run rampant especially in my country it's over there in yours too but nothing like over here um i mean the food the food the food i realized okay to get someone to understand that I have to educate them. Hence, the list. Food Inc. Genetic Roulette. Those are two of the most important, you know, movies that anyone can watch because then you really realize, oh, so let's do this. Let's make it super simple. Eat protein and vegetables for just three weeks. Watch what happens. Like, you, especially, you don't, I, the reason why you want to eat organic, because it doesn't have all the pesticides sprayed mm-hmm. on them. If people knew, like if they had to take the pesticides that sprayed on their vegetables and spray it on their tongue, you think they'd eat it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's gotta. It's like, but it's only a little bit of arsenic. And it's <laughs> a little bit of arsenic. It's a little bit of arsenic. So I don't eat any of that shit. And the first time that I came, well, the first two times I came to the UK, I thought your food was horrible. But the last time I was there, which was two years ago, I was blown away how good a lot of the places the food was. I mean, I went to one uh, pub in York, and they had gluten-free fish and chips. They also had this beer that's called Duradam. That's a gluten-free beer. That's the only beer I drink now. Mm. I mean, there was there was some place I was in Brighton, and I had a friggin' French. They were they were, they said it was gluten free, uh, on the French rolls. I was like, there's no way that is gluten free, <laughs> and it was. I was shocked. Like you guys, you know, there's certain restaurants who really took it seriously, and made some really great food. So I'm really looking forward. You know, to coming back and hope those restaurants are open. I know with all this craziness, a lot of the places aren't going to be open, unfortunately. I mean, luckily, we, yeah. we, we start opening more and more. So hopefully, by the time you're here, we should. Uh, well, what, what, uh, when I say open, though, you know, a lot of people who pays those bills when they don't have any money coming in. Well, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the, the bar and restaurants, they got hit the worst, yeah. you know, because, you know, Amazon grew like crazy, though oh yeah (laughs) yeah so you know the bottom line is we're right this i appreciate you saying those nice things about it but it it was made it was a labor of love Mm. that that we did because we wanted to tell the story of how did this company come to be how did this happen and then before you knew it it was so it didn't become about the company it became about the journey yeah you know and when someone you know is as passionate as I am about something like this. I mean, you guys have been hearing me talk about this for 15 years now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's blown into a, I mean, probably if someone was to buy the company, it would cost them like $30 million. Mm, Wow. You know, it's, and I just keep reinvesting back into the company, like we're building a, a retreat. And so people don't have to go to Mexico anymore. And it'll be more intimate. It'll be uh, 12 people will come as opposed to like, I'm doing one in uh, July in Mexico. And they will be probably about, I couldn't, they, they sold out when we got to 55 people because the place is huge, but they can only do 60% of it. And so many people in our country are like, fuck it, we're getting out of here. You know, we're, get, we're gonna go live life. And uh, so you gotta have a COVID test before you get in. But uh, that's a good thing. Um, but, uh, bottom line is in Panama city beach, I bought a piece of land on the beach and that's where I'm building my dream home, but I'm going to have people down there and we're going to do retreats, you know, all the time. It'll be like, you know, probably six couples because I've got seven extra bedrooms besides my floor and, uh, it's going to be beautiful. And the education that will come out of it, the people are really going to be blown away and uh we'll do a lot of one-on-one stuff being my girl page and uh, uh you know uh, cooking demonstrations and all that kind of stuff it's gonna be pretty sweet
0: sounds awesome indeed uh,
2: so obviously while while we're talking about ddp yoga um might be a good time to sort of um just a bit of a plug for our audience if, uh, if you could tell them sort of where they could find um firstly ddp yoga, sure. where they could find you on social media that sort of thing if that's okay
1: yeah you can just um go to that Facebook page. That's the best thing I can tell you to do. Go to the Facebook page, uh, DDP yoga, one word. If you're on Instagram at DDP yoga, there's different, we've always put up different transformations and stuff like that. Um, but if you're going to want to try the program, it costs you nothing to try it. Go to ddpy.com or DDP And you can watch that video of Arthur there. Uh, there's a few other ones too. Um, but the bottom line is, is it costs you nothing to try and When you go on it, it's going to blow your mind because we've got like that app costs us like at, up till now about $4 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, we keep putting more and more into it to make it more user friendly. And, you know, we've got it on smart TVs and it's not just the app anymore. It's the whole interactive experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's completely different than what people think it is.
0: Yeah, I uh, I got it on my Fire TV. It is, it is a fantastic app. Um, so I definitely recommend it.
1: Awesome. Well, fellas, thanks for having me on. And Amazing. great talking to you. Have yeah, a nice exactly. awesome day.
0: Thanks it's again, Dallas. it
1: pleasure. See you. <laughs> awesome. <totally.
0: laughs> thanks, thanks again. Bye, Dallas. <laughs>